Welcome to Parenting Today's Teens, a daily podcast that provides stories, insights, and wisdom to help you as a parent gain a deeper relationship with your teen. On today's episode, Mark Gregston shares a personal devotional to help you as you walk through life with your teen. Let's hear what Mark has to say. Let me read you a scripture. It says this, spend time with the wise and you will become wise, but the friends of fools will suffer. It's a Proverbs 13, 20. I love it. Spend time with the wise and you'll become wise. Mom, dad, hey, all you grandparents, um, let me encourage you in something. Uh, my hope is that you'll spend time with your kids and they will spend time with the wise so that they will become wise. You know, people have this propensity to complain about, you know, young people today, and they, they've always had that. Throughout history, uh, one can easily find moanings and groanings about young people and how their attitude and actions are destroying the very moral fiber uh, of this country, uh, how we're going down the wrong path. And, you know, uh, we, meaning any of us who are, Older than teenagers and millennials tend to recall our time of adolescence as a wonderful time of innocence and wonder. Uh, Nothing we did was really that bad, certainly not damaging and destructive as the practices of youth today, right? We we adopt an all-is-lost attitude, thinking we're living in the worst times ever, really. When I think back to the time that I grew up in New Orleans in the 60s, I vividly recall um, seeing the Beatles uh, in City Park on September 16th, 1964, and the Beach Boys. Um, I remember watching and sitting around a TV set watching the first man walk on the moon. I remember the Ed Sullivan show, Mary Poppins, the Beverly Hillbillies, Walt Disney, Debbie Meyer swimming in the 1968 Olympics in Mexico City. I was a swimmer for years. I remember Woodstock, James Bond, The Dirty Dozen, just to name a few memories. That's what instantly comes to my mind. But when I reflect a little bit more deeply, I remember what else went on during the 60s. And I come to a somewhat different conclusion that perhaps those good old days weren't as good as I thought. Um, Okay, now this, I'm going to date myself a little bit here, but Vietnam... Uh, the assassination of President John F. Kennedy, the the later assassination of his brother, Senator Bobby Kennedy, the assassination of Martin Luther King, Louisiana, uh, where I was home at the time, um, Louisiana's Hurricane Camille, the Bay of Pigs, remember that? The Manson murders, the riots in Chicago and Detroit. Not the good old days, but the days and years when an entire nation probably experienced a huge cultural shift. And maybe it wasn't so good back then. Maybe, maybe, maybe it's not so bad now. Times are different, very different. But different doesn't warrant instant judgment. Positive change rarely comes out of negative criticism. In other words, complaining doesn't fix anything. Complaining about the youth of today is nothing due. There was a fellow by the name of Peter the Hermit, and he said this in a sermon preached during his lifetime. He said this. I want you to hear this. 
He, he said, the world is passing through troublous times. The young people of today think nothing but of themselves. They have no reverence for parents or old age. They are impatient of all restraint. They talk as if they knew everything and what passes for wisdom with us is foolishness with them. As for the girls, they are forward, immodest, unladylike in speech, behavior, and dress. <laughs> this French priest called Peter the Hermit, and that's not one of the Herman's hermits for I guess I just dated myself. He played a key role during the First Crusade and delivered this sermon more than 500 years ago. If you're like me, you don't want to complain all the time about the culture of teens today. And and who wants to be seen as a a crotchety or decrepit instead of being fun and cool? Um, I want to understand today's culture, Um, not frame it as an evil culture with no hope. If I see it like that, not only am I judging those kids that live with us uh, at Heartlight, uh, the residential counseling center that we started years ago, but I'm saying the same thing about my grandkids and their friends, um, but also what hope will they have for the future? I want to understand so I can help my kids navigate through today's times, which seem to be so different than the world I grew up in, yet they are so similar in their changes. One of the major challenges remains to bring timeless truth and wisdom to an ever-changing world of influence. And this challenge is not the sole goal of parenting. First and foremost, the intent is to connect with your child during their teen years. You can be the connection who offers that hope. You can complain about today's youth, and and you can complain always— uh, and and you'll always be blocking the communication. So instead, I would suggest that you pursue ways of connecting that will move your children to bond with you strongly so that you'll be able to offer them what they can't get from any other person in the world. And I found that connection doesn't automatically happen because just because you're a parent. Deep connection isn't inherited, it's cultivated. And you cultivate it every time you are intentional in reaching out to your child in, in, in ways that make them want to reach back to you. When you're intentional about asking for an invitation into their world instead of trying to drag them out of it into, and into yours, you can help your children get to the places they want to be. You can also help keep them from ending up in places that they don't want to be. And this process really begins with parents asking questions. Hopefully, it blossoms into a relationship where a child asks the question. And this exchange is is really kind of just an easy process. You know, I've I've learned this with thousands of teens. I'm going to give you five necessary steps for the process of engagement. And and I think these are important. So so if if you're going to remember anything from what I'm saying, remember back to your times that you— uh, grew up. Remember how bad it was. Remember how good it was. And then kind of compare it to what's going on now and realize it's not nearly as bad. It's just different. So here's the first thing. Show interest. You know, um, those cute little kids that you have um, are going to turn 12 and it's going to begin to change. And that's exactly when parents better change with them. Adolescence is that critical point that can determine your level of involvement in their lives. 
for the rest of their lives. And during this critical time, you have to shift the focus of your relationship from the interest of you um, to your interest to them, meaning you put them before you. If your child feels for a moment that your purpose and intent in their life is just to transfer all the wisdom you've gained in life, you will bore them to tears and you'll quickly find yourself irrelevant in their lives. It'll be apparent to them that you're in this thing to fulfill your own agenda, not because you care about them. They will see it as nothing more than another program that is more about you than it is about them, and they can smell that a mile away. You may think adolescents and teens have no common sense, but they are incredibly savvy, and they can quickly spot a fake. Remember, parenting is not about you. It's about your kids. And so remember this when Paul writes, and he says this to the Philippians, where where he says, do nothing out of selfishness or empty conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interest, but each of you to the interest of others. The encouragement here is for parents to say, okay, 1 through 12, it was about me. 12 on, now it's about them. And the second part of this shifting and changing of your interest, one of the hardest challenges is sharing the wisdom you've gathered through your life in a way that applies it to their world and their culture, not the world that you grew up in and learned from. This is about them. You know, I, I know that, that teens show an interest in me because I have an interest in them. They're longing for someone to listen to their hearts and their stories. They want to be loved and cared for far beyond the five love languages. They want to do things together. They want to eat where they want to eat and go where they want to go and have someone help them fulfill their dreams. Showing interest in your kids isn't something you do, but it must become who you are. Okay, that's number one. Number two is this, adapt to their world. Okay, so you live in a world of immodest girls who are unladylike in their behavior, foolish boys who think only of themselves, and a world where kids have a great sense of entitlement. They're impatient, they know everything, they hardly respect their elders. And that's how Peter the Hermit saw it, you know, back 500 years ago. That is the worlds of kids today, and, and in every age, it seems, but, but it's the world that your kids have to live in. And those are the cards that you've been dealt. And they're more than just cards. They're kids that you love. And if you want to be an influence and make an impact on their lives, then you'll have to adapt your message so it includes an understanding of the world where they lived. And when I say adapt, I'm not telling you to scrap your standards or beliefs and discard what you hold to be true and valuable. I'm telling you that your message has to apply to their world. You or your message can't be a stick in the mud, but it's got to be pliable and adjustable to wrap around the issues that they're facing, not the fact that you think they're issues. Usually people who criticize the cards they've been dealt can't adapt, and that's why they're frustrated, and that gives them very little ability to speak into the lives of their children. You know, you'll be a lot like these major department stores and, and companies that haven't been able to make the transition uh, into a new culture, and they're going belly up. They couldn't adapt to the changing times and keep up with the transformation and, and conversion of a culture that's made some pretty extreme shifts in the last few years. So they've closed up shop. 
And so my comment here and my point is don't close the door on the teens that you love. If your message is relevant, don't change your content, but do change your approach um, so that the in, so that the recipients uh, of the message can embrace the message, engage with uh, applicability, and value the effectiveness of the wisdom that's shared. You know, I, I, I travel a lot, uh, a couple of hundred nights out of the year. Uh, I'm on the road, and, and I see a g- great decline in uh, church attendance by those who are, are about or have graduated from high school and, and uh, those in their late teens. In other words, there are about a million kids in the seventh grade youth program and about four who remain, remain in the church by the end of their senior year. And, and I'm, I'm exaggerating and joking a little bit, but you get the picture and you know what I mean. Somewhere they start to diffuse and they start to move away from the church. And they usually take a hiatus from the church until about age 29. Uh, but I think they do it for a couple of reasons. And, 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 and a lot of kids just think that, that church isn't important. The busyness of their schedules, uh, coupled with other interests, and it, it kind of crowds out time for church. And, and so it, it's gotten busier. And so it just looks different. Um, you know, and I, I think this is where it, where a church has got to be a little bit more adaptable um, to the culture we live in. I, I remember the, I, I, a pastor telling me once that that the difference between his traditional worship service and his contemporary worship service is that he untucks his shirt. <laughs> I... I I I couldn't believe it because he was as serious as a heart attack. He really thought that just because he untucks his shirt, that it's going to make him relevant. And really, it just made him look stupid, quite honestly. So anyway, adaptability is 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 more than just ripped or skinny jeans. It's it's more than current or contemporary worship songs when the lights go down and a few candles burning through the fog machine. It's an understanding of the needs and speaking directly to the issues that teens are facing, and then giving directives that speak directly to those problems and matters in in a way that doesn't alienate teens. Okay, I'm going to tell you the third thing here. You got to build a relationship, and and a real relationship takes the investment of time and effort and resources, and you know, I, and I talk about that all the time. But the key word is investment. The focus of that investment has got to be to benefit your teen, motivated out of the love that you have for your child. You know, when Paul wrote to the Thessalonians and he said this, he said, you know, we loved you so much that we shared with you not only the good news, but we shared with you our life as well. And teens are looking for that genuineness, authenticity, and relationships that offer something more than, uh, than only correction when they mess up. They desire someone who's frank, who's honest, who doesn't uh, uh, or isn't afraid to speak the truth in love, because they know that that motivation comes from this great sense of empathy that um, that one has for their plight. You know, I, I've said this a million times, that if you have a discipline problem, you have a relationship problem. 
If you have a respect problem, you have a relationship problem. If you have an obedience problem, you have a relationship problem. In a relationship, you'll see the problems, and in a relationship, you'll discover a teen's motivation for change. A teen doesn't change because of an authoritarian approach. A teen listens to authority because of relationship. Your relationship with your children could be the only voice of wisdom that they listen to in a time when they really aren't listening to God. They need to have fun um, with you and with each other, and that's paramount. So how much you laugh together is, a, is really a good, I think, a great measurement of your relationship. And the amount of communication between you and your child will be an indicator of how healthy the relationship is. So my encouragement is to learn every way possible to communicate that hope and perspective. And, and, and do this, mom and dad. Be sure to keep up with technology so you can maintain and entertain new forms of communication. If you don't know how to do it, ask your kids. Last night, I was trying to figure out how to post a story on Facebook. And, and um, so that we're trying to hire a new gal to take care of our horses at Heartlight. And, and they said, well, you can do this and do this. And you need this app and you need this app. And, and you can do yeah, I was sitting there just going, you got to be kidding me. Then I handed my phone to my granddaughter. And she did it like in two minutes. And I thought, you know what? I need to learn how to do this. Why? Not because I need to look cool. But one, I just, I just need to keep up with technology. Um, and what was fun was her teaching me. I enjoyed it. Here's the next thing I would tell you. Create a connection. And, and the connection that I'm talking about is the next step in a relationship with your child. And it's more than just making things happen. It's when communication, effort, and desire to spend time together become a two-way street. Um, let, let, let me give you an example of this. Um, I have a granddaughter named Miley, and um, she loves country music. And she knows the lyrics just about every country song there is. And how she does it, I'll never know. I can't even remember a verse. Uh, but because of her love, uh, you know, for this genre of music, I joined the Country Music Association years ago, and so we can attend the Country Music Awards. And so every year I purchase the tickets, I book the flight, and we go. We laugh, we take pictures, we laugh more, we cheer on the artist, and we leave Nashville with memories that that really have lasted us a lifetime. I purchase shirts and programs, and I provide opportunities for her to meet any of the artists I can, and it's all for one purpose to keep the connection that we've found and hopefully nurture it until my dying day. We text each other with news about upcoming concerts and upcoming up-and-coming artists, and we look together for the next opportunity to spend time at these events. And the result, it's a special connection that ties our hearts together. It's a tie that binds when other things in her life aren't quite as she hopes they'd be. Uh, the connection has been a lifeline um, for Miley and me. And so here's some things that, that I've learned about a connection with kids, and I want to share that with you. Connection is more than just a relationship. Anyone can have that. It's a conduit for providing hope and direction. And connection is, is, is not just making sure you have a great Christmas picture 
for all your family to send out your friends. Connection is not measured by the number of pictures you post of your child on the social networking sites. Connection's not appearing to have a relationship. Connection is having a relationship that is measured by two-way efforts to remain engaged with one another. Connection is not an opportunity for correction. And connection is a mutual love for one another established because a parent determines to pour life and love into a child who longs to be connected. Okay, here's the next thing I tell you. Invite questions. Invite questions. When I initially show interest in any teen, including my own grandkids, I do it by asking questions about their life, their thoughts, and their heart. And it's not the interrogating type of questions that puts them down or puts them on the spot or makes them feel like I'm looking for problems, but it's the type of questions that that convey value. Uh, you know, the questions I give them um, are, are those that 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 kind of convey to them, this is how you show interest in somebody else, to consider other people more important than yourself. You know, and my hope is, is that they'll begin to ask me questions because they see me as a parent or a grandparent that's full of wisdom, not full of correction, but one who is generally focused on bettering their lives and the one who's willing to put his money where his mouth is and share time, effort, and resources to further the relationship. You know you've made this connection when, when they come to you and begin to say, hey, can I tell you something? Hey, you want to go eat dinner somewhere? Hey, Dad. Hey, Mom. You ever smoke pot or get drunk? Hey, Mom. Did you and Dad ever have sex before you got married? Hey, Dad. What if I marry the wrong person? Hey, Mom, Mom, Mom. Did you ever fall away from Jesus? I mean, just not get it sometimes. Hey, what's the one life lesson that you found to be the most important? As a parent... This is what you've been waiting for. It's their invitation to you to speak truth, however painful it might be, into their lives. And they're asking because they want answers. Their questions will let you know there's a connection and that they want wisdom. And over time, you'll find that talking about the hard stuff and sharing the reality of lessons you've learned will convey those rare qualities of good relationships called genuineness and authenticity, two items that are in high demand of today's teen culture. They are learning. You can be a safe place, a sounding board, as they learn how to function in their culture in a, in a healthy way. They're just doing it differently than you that you did. And I assure you, they will learn what they need to learn to survive in the world. And hopefully they'll do it with the foundation of wisdom that you have spoken into their lives so that their learning isn't quite as painful uh, as when you uh, were acquiring wisdom in your life. It's one of the greatest challenges of parents, but it is so worth the effort. So do this. Quit complaining about your kids. Begin the trek to building a relationship that connects you to the very heart of your child. And remember, it's not about what you do, and it's not necessarily about what you say. It's more about who you are 
in the presence of your kids that has the greatest influence. Hey, this is Mark Gregston. I look forward to talking with you soon. Thanks for listening to Parenting Today's Teens. For more information, you can visit parentingtodaysteens.org, heartlightministries.org, or markgregston.com. Join us back here tomorrow for another great episode. We'll talk to you then.